Hey everyone, welcome to the Grabs Podcast, where we share first-hand stories of real-world rescues. I'm Grant. Our guest today is Sean Hayes from Wichita Fire. Welcome, Sean. How you doing? Good. Uh, Wichita is is one of my favorite departments. Uh, truth be told, I would love to go out there and work, uh, but my wife uh, put the big veto on that, um, so that's not even an option. But I think it's the one of the busier departments that nobody ever knows about. Super aggressive. You guys seem to be getting grabs and just have an awesome culture. Uh, I'll make a quick plug for the uh, Into the Job Fire Conference in January that Isaac Fraser's putting together. It is uh, filling up fast, but that's not something that you want to miss. Um, but en enough of that, Sean, why don't you tell us about you, your assignment in, uh, in Wichita? Well, uh, I've been on the fire department for a little over five years now. Um, about a year and a half ago, I tried out for the rescue team and I was reassigned to station four, which houses a rescue and an engine company. Um, at the time there was only at the time of this fire, there was only one operating rescue in the city. So I like to pride myself on the fact that I was riding it that day. Um, but we have more rescues now, uh, or well, we have one more rescue now. And, um, you know, it's uh, good to get more of that stuff rolling throughout the city. Um, we've been on, or we got 22 stations. Um, we go to about 50,000 calls a year in Wichita, uh, get a lot of good work. Um, we're predominantly engine and truck company uh, department. Uh, we have two quints, but uh, those are run pretty much as engines. We also have squad companies, which have like two guys on them and they run predominantly medical calls. Um, so if I refer to a squad company in the podcast, it's because it's uh, not like a traditional squad company like you'd have in FDNY. It's actually just like a pickup with two people on it. But uh, that works for us here in Wichita. So, and your and your rescues are what? Our rescues are staffed with three guys and uh, sometimes four. And that's like heavy rescue style, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just uh, heavy rescue, dive, uh, high angle, um, swift water, and then uh, what we like to go to every fire. Nice. So uh, what do you guys get on a box alarm for like single family residential? So on a, uh, just a regular house fire response, you're going to get two squads. Well, at the time you're going to get two squads, three engines, a uh, truck, a rescue and two battalion chiefs. Our uh, response matrix has changed just a little bit. Um, but it's predominantly what you get. And then uh, if you got anything, the showing or something like that. Usually the chiefs are pretty good about upgrading it to add more units. So with all those units showing up, are you predominantly pre-arrival assignments or how, how's the work get divvied up on a fire? You know, that culture is starting to change a little bit. Um, it kind of depends on arrival is who shows up and like who takes command and how soon, but yeah, we, we focus quite a bit on initial arrival assignments. Uh, like the first, on scene take fire attack first rescue or truck on scene is going to take search um sometimes the trucks opt for vent just depends on the situation and what's showing and you know conditions um squads just supplement engine company or search and then the second engine usually takes uh, water supply and command so and then your third engine supplementing the water supply or they're also assisting with the next highest level function so second line or 
search or whatever they need to fill in at. What, so talk me through what your typical search looks like. Are you going in with two, with three? How, how does that look? We can go in with two. Um, we operate under the premise that every structure is occupied until we prove it is vacant or has been searched. Um, so we're pretty aggressive as far as getting in and performing searches. Usually it's uh, at least a, a squad company of two people, um, preferably three or more, depending on the amount of floors and the coverage area that you need. Uh, our chiefs and you know people that are in command are real good about assigning the appropriate amount of people to a uh, primary and secondary search. So you go in with your partner, are you guys split searching, oriented searching, or, or how, what's your actual, you know? Oh, uh, yeah, we do targeted search. Um, so like the high priority areas, we obviously get to the fire and search your way back. Um, you're going to want to search your, um, you know, areas where predominantly people are found, hallways, bedrooms, you know, paths of egress um, away from the fire. So and you stay together or is like, are you going left? Your partner's going right and, and you're going to knock it out. Do you do that? As, long as, can, as long as we can stay in some sort of uh, communication, um, whether that's like being able to speak or, you know, I can hear him on the other side of the room or something like that. We just have to stay oriented. And usually our officer is really good about staying oriented to the uh, egress or wherever. Um, whereas we as firemen um, just predominantly, go to work, you know, hands and knees. What's search. your, what's your tool of choice when you guys are going in doing search personally? I like to take a uh, piglet and uh, cause it's awesome. And then also Halligan cause you never know what you're going to find. If you find doors or something like that um, inside of structure. Um, some people like to take in hooks the way that once they get the primary search done, you can start hooking for fire tech, but I'd either make do with Halligan or steal somebody's hook. Yeah, I got one of those piglets too. I love that tool. Let's oh, awesome. uh, let's uh, take me back to this fire and let's walk through it. Okay, so on February second, um, we were dispatched the report of a house fire at one forty-eight in the morning. Um, in route, it was upgraded to a person's trapped. Uh, at the that day, we were riding three on the rescue and three on the engine. Um, when we got there, my officer, we were the first to arrive on scene. My officer gave a smoke and flames showing from the Charlie Delta and assigned us to search due to the person's trapped. Um, I got out. I was driving that day. I got out and uh, had to put all my stuff on. The only thing we drive with is bunker pants and radio strap. So I had to run over to my compartment and throw all my gear on, flashlight, pack, everything like that, and then run up to the front of the structure. I pulled past um, to leave room for the uh, first arriving engine and truck. So the truck takes the front of the house. So I was a couple houses down, so I had to hustle over a little bit and uh, make it to the front door. So it took me for a second. Also, my officer has to get out and put his gear on um, because he doesn't have that in the seat yet. Um, we're getting a new rescue, so that's coming. But that day he had to get out and put all of his gear on. So the first person to the front door was the back end firefighter or the rescue. And he ensured there was a patent opening and then there was a screen door there. So he shut it to control the vent. Um, so that by the time I got up there, he was like, you know, ready to go there um, with the report of a person inside. He's like anxiously waiting on me to get my stuff on. So I put my stuff on um, from the time that we, from the time that I pulled the parking brake 
to the time that we were going through the front door. It was about 59 think. So when we went in, um, we knew that fire was in the Charlie Delta corner. So that's where we were going to target first. So we uh, headed in. The conditions were completely blacked out. Um, we immediately got down on our hands and knees, started going, going towards the heat. Um, right behind me, fire attack was coming in. Uh, so they were bringing in the line and they were going to the Charlie Delta two. And so we were kind of searching that front room initially and fire attack was like, Hey, we need more line. We need more line. And at the time, since, uh, the engine was only staffed with three people, they didn't have a door guy. They just had an officer and a nozzleman. So I went back outside, well, went to the front door and grabbed a little bit more line and loaded, um, that front room with some hose so that fire attack could make the push towards the back. And as I was going back in, we were following the line. I was following the line then. Um, I yelled at my fellow firefighter up front. He's like, I'm with fire attack. I'm searching off the line. So I was just like, okay, I'll just keep searching off the line. And fire attack was making that push to the Charlie Delta corner. So I'm basically toe hooking that inch and three quarter and sweeping as far out as I possibly can to kind of get a feel of the layout and what's going on around. And, uh, we came around the corner, fire tech line was going around the corner and I could hear him hitting fire and it was getting, it was getting warm and I couldn't see nothing. And uh, there was this doorway to my right. And so I'm sweeping and I felt on my left side, I felt a uh, doorway and I assumed, okay, this is probably kind of like a little uh, bedroom, bedroom, bathroom scenario with like kind of like a Jack and Jill bathroom right in the middle. So there's a bedroom on the left and a, a door in the middle and then right on my right is when I ran into her. So, and at first I was just kind of like, oh, what's this? And then I was like, oh, I got a body. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, conditions sorry. in that room compared to the rest, was that an open door, closed door, or what was that? It was an, op it was an open door. Um, after the fire, um, we went in and looked, and it looked like what she had probably done is she had uh, – probably heard the smoke alarms going off, opened her door and the smoke conditions were bad enough that she collapsed and did not make it much farther out of her room. But you could see right where her bed sheets were pulled up and then the door was open and then she was in the prone position face down on the floor, right where her bedroom door was open. Well, invisibility there was like what? When you ran into uh, her? Or did you just felt her? complete blackout. I couldn't see anything. I had my flashlight on my side and I also had my helmet light on and all I could see was, you know, the smoke right here in front of my eyes. So it was kind of pointless to even have lights on. Um, towards the front room, it was kind of clearing up because once that, because that vent was then open, it was kind of allowing some of that smoke and uh, stuff to vent out that front room. So what I did was I grabbed her and I kind of, picked her up with the arms and kind of hooked my arm underneath her neck a little bit and under her um, armpit. And my main goal was to try to keep her as low in the smoke and conditions as I could. And cause right there, it wasn't too hot and I could hear fire attack hitting the fire right to my, I guess it would have been like my uh, North. And uh, so then I was like, well, I know I got the hose line right here. So I'm just yelling out. I got a body. I got a body. I knew there was people coming in. I, I knew my officer was right at the front door. And so hopefully he was going to get on the radio and radio to command that, Hey, we got a victim. So I'm just kind of yelling out. I got a body. I got a body. Well, a uh, squad company was coming in and they were joining up with fire attack. And so they immediately came over to me and I had drug her about halfway through the front room towards the front door at that point. 
And when I was yelling out, I got a body, the squad company, they come over to help. Well, they actually grabbed a hold of my leg and kind of spun me around for a second, which they're just trying to help. And, and I appreciate that, but I kind of lost my grip on her. So then I got back around on her and then I kind of put her arms together and, uh, used that thing I learned from you guys, Wichita hot, uh, and, uh, finished dragging her to the front sill. And at the front sill, um, my officer was there and he helped me get her all the way outside. That's awesome. Um, what, what do you think distance wise was from where she was at to front door? I think it was about 20 to 25 feet. Um, not too bad. Cool. What, um, so then what's it look like once, once the victim's found and I know, um, it can, there can be just a lot of dudes in, in the building. Who, how does that, the rest of the search go? Or you, you go out and stay with the victim, does somebody else go finish the search or? Yeah. So, so once we got her outside, um, luckily my officer had been calling saying, Hey, we got a victim and we're bringing her out now. So EMS was Johnny on the spot. They were right there taking over patient care. So me as the search crew, I'm like, well, we got to go back in and finish the search. So uh, I took a breather for like a quick second and uh, went back in and, and me and my officer and my fellow firefighter ended up finished in search and uh, yeah, everything else was clear. So she was the only victim in there. Um, uh, what, what was her weight approximately? I'd say she was about 180 to 200 pounds, about six foot tall. She's an elderly female, I think, you know, up there a little bit. Did now let's talk about uh, when you found her. Um, did you have any trouble orienting orienting yourself to how she was laying or anything like that? I know we we talk about having a plan for a head first drag and a feet first drag. Uh, was that easy to figure out what what kind of your plan was going to be? Yeah, I knew right away. I was like, I want to keep her face as low to the ground as possible, hopefully without scraping it. And uh, you know, because the conditions weren't bad enough to where you know, she was burned and you can, I've been around some victims that have been burned badly and you can tell when, Hey, this is a, you know, non-viable victim to viable victim, you know, and what are the chances of survival where with her, I was like, this is, you know, hopefully something that can be survived. And, uh, so my main goal was to keep her as low to the ground as I possibly could. And she was unconscious the whole time I found her unconscious. And, uh, once we got her out, she was unconscious, but my main goal was to try to get her out as quick as possible. So I didn't really work on positioning her. I just was like, Hey, she was already prone. I'm just going to keep her in that position, keep her face down and, uh, use some of the techniques that I've learned from you guys and through our training department here in Wichita to kind of make the grab and get her out. So. Very nice. Um, was she slippery or anything like that? Any burns or was she skin pretty much intact and able to easily grab yeah, skin was pretty much intact. Um, she's she was lucky. Uh, she ended up going code red to the hospital. She was code blue in the front yard, and EMS got her back, and she went code red to the hospital. And then uh, we we didn't hear much back from family or anything like that for a couple weeks. And so then we made some inquiries, and family came to the station. And this was kind of right before all the coronavirus stuff went down. So I don't know her condition as of now, but as of early March, she was in stable condition and she was going through uh, rehab. So. Shoot, great story. Is there anything else you wanted to share about this one or any lessons learned for you personally or your crew on here? Um, 
you know, I mean, training is paramount. I really never, you know, I was excited at the time of the grab. I was like, oh my goodness, I found somebody. But it wasn't like I was, had no clue what to do. It's not like, you know, you have, you know, you freak out and don't really know what to do. And then all of a sudden, just like everything goes bad or anything like that. I just, I maintain my orientation all the time. And I just, I chalk that up to training. I think that training and reps and going over everything and planning, you know, pre-arrival assignments and everything like that is, is so important because when a situation like that does happen, you know exactly, you know, what to do. You're not like thinking about, oh my goodness, how am I supposed to, I got to get my webbing out of my pants and I got to put her in a harness or I got to do this or I got to do that. You're just like, no, I can, you know, make this work situationally. Very cool. Last thing I wanted to hit was, uh, do you know what the time was from uh, you guys crossing that threshold to getting out or air break, or do you have a, a time frame here? Yeah, I do. So um, from the time the parking brake was set and to making entry through the alpha door, we were at 56 seconds. Um, since I had to load some hose into that front room, it took me a little bit. Um, but from when we made entry until I found her, it was one minute and 51 seconds. And then it took another 49 seconds to get her all the way out. So we were right at about the four minute mark of from parking brake size up to patients been uh, extricated by the house. Outstanding so. job. Uh, like I said, uh, you guys are just such a group of aggressive professionals that uh, I really respect a lot. Um, well, thanks for coming on the show. Um, and sharing your story. If you're on the scene of a structure fire with a rescue or assist with a dead or alive civilian, help us capture our wins and specific details that improve our rescue and search across the nation. Fill out one survey per victim at www.firefighterrescuesurvey.com. Also, you can join the Facebook group, Firefighter Rescue Survey, where hundreds of rescues are being recorded monthly. And if you have a grab and you want to share your story on this podcast, contact me, Grant Schwalbe, Justin McWilliams, or Nick Ladine. Um, again, thanks, Sean. Uh, we hope to have you back on to, to share some other, other stories. And I guess I'll be seeing you in January. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I can't wait.